Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right, well, praise the Lord. We are in Book of Romans here. We are coming down very near to the end of the Book of Romans. We're Romans chapter 15. We're going to look at the second half of the chapter. This is an exceptional book. It's been an amazing journey. Only a week or two left after today, so I don't know yet because I don't know how how deep I'm going to go in the next chapter yet. So, um, but, um, but after that, then on to another topic. I haven't totally settled on that yet. But then after a few weeks in, uh, in June, then we'll turn it over to Pastor Mike, Lord willing, for, uh, for a little while during the summer. And so we're looking forward to a great next few months. All right, well, um, if, we, if you and I were sitting having coffee, I mean, you know, one at a time, not everybody at once, but if we were just sitting having coffee at the coffee shop and we were visiting and just talking about the Lord and um, I was to just stop the conversation and look at you and ask you this question, if I were to say, what, do you th- what unique ministry has the Lord called you to? What would you say to that question? You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, what are you, what do you think you're put here to do? You personally, uniquely. I think every Christian should seriously consider that question and, and bring it before the Lord. Now we all have general ministry to do. Things that God has told all of us to do. Be a witness to the lost. Serve others. Show love to people. Be generous givers etc., etc. There's many things God's called all of us to do. But I'm asking about something a little more specific. What is your unique ministry for the Lord? And as we'll see today, Paul had a general calling like we all do, but he also, he had a specific calling. And what I'm saying today is that I don't think that he is the only one in the world Who gets one of those? (laughs) A specific, narrow calling. I believe God has put and will put some unique ministry on your heart if you'll ask him. And in fact, if we remember back and go back a couple chapters to Romans chapter 12, as Paul began that chapter, as we surrender our lives to him, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. As we present our bodies to him, and then in the following verses, he goes on to describe spiritual gifts then that God gives to each person as a believer. The point was very clear there. We need to be busy uh, using those gifts. If God's given you a gift, why would God give you a ministry gift if he didn't have a special plan for you to use it? What's the point? And so God gives us all gifts. He gives us um, he gives us a word, I believe, from the Lord, from his word, to, to help us in our heart know what we should do for him. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the Apostle Paul and study him. We're going to kind of study his heart for ministry. And that's what he lays out for us in the last part of chapter 15. So he's going to be our example on what a servant of the Lord 
should look like. I don't just, uh, many people have said the Apostle Paul could be the greatest Christian to ever live. I mean, if there was an example, even Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so he is a great example for all of us. So number one, the Lord's servant sees ministry as worship. The Lord's servant sees ministry as worship. Here's Paul here in these next few verses. Look at this, verse 14. And I myself also, Paul says, am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So Paul commends the church in Rome. He's Remember, this is the book of Romans. He's writing to the Christians in Rome, the church in Rome. And he basically says, listen, folks, even though I've never been there to Rome, I've heard, I've been persuaded that you are a good church, that you have a healthy knowledge of the truth, and that you are able to help each other out in this crazy world. You're able to admonish each other. And by the way, I just let me just stop and say what an amazing and wonderful traits God gives here of a church. Goodness, knowledge, and admonishment. Admonish, the word admonish means to warn or to put in mind. This is all about, Paul's all talking about this idea of keeping each other accountable and encouraging each other to do the right thing. A good church knows how to positively keep each other accountable. So a good church, that's one of the great purposes for a church. You know, and Bible preaching and teaching is a big part of that, but also the godly relationships that we have in a church are also a big part of that. Church is where we get wise biblical counsel. Church is where we get prayer. Church is where we have honest conversation with other godly believers and walk through life and the life issues that we're dealing with. Sometimes you need to remind someone else about a truth, and some, sometimes there's a person who needs to remind you of something God has said and get us back in line. But we're all doing this for each other, and we're doing it in love and with humility. It's my opinion, as we go through this and I think about this now, <clears throat> it's my opinion that most of the things that people go to a psychologist for these days can be handled by seeking the counsel of other Bible-believing Christians and doing what they say. In fact, my guess is that we can have the answers. This is just my, this is in my head, my, my number here, but I believe that we can have the answers to about 95% of the issues that we deal with in life simply by being in a Bible-preaching church for a long period and reading our Bible regularly. <clears throat> Think about it. Sitting under Bible preaching and teaching is like sitting in a counseling session. It really is. We talk about all kinds of things. If you do that for years on end, and you just go week after week, midweek, and you hear all the teaching you can about Scripture, you will, you know, people talk about going to therapy, and I'm not knocking therapy. <clears throat> but simply just by going to church, you know, for me, I've been to thousands and thousands of therapy sessions in my lifetime. I've gotten so much therapy, it's, un it's unbelievable. Of, and of course, there are times, though, that there might be 
you might need to go to somebody for a little more personal, intensive counseling, especially with somebody who has special knowledge or experience. I don't discount that there are times for that, but I'm telling you, I believe 95% of the stuff uh, you, you can get just by being in church and being around other believers and talking to other wise believers. I mean, what did they do for thousands of years before they had psychologists? They talked to other good believers in the church. Paul even mentioned that in the book of Titus, men teaching the younger men, older women teaching the younger women. And this is what people have been doing for a long time. And as Paul says here, you are able, I'm confident, I'm persuaded that you are able also to admonish one another. You're able to do this. You're, you're a church that can do this. You can do this for each other. You can go through this life together. You guys can make it. You just keep admonishing each other. So Paul gives that Roman church a, a boost of confidence that they're able to help each other through this dark world. And, and even though Paul had confidence in the church, he also knew, though, that he, as an apostle, it was his duty to write a detailed letter about the doctrines of the gospel. And that's what the book of Romans is. And so that's what he refers to next in the next couple verses. Here's what he says in verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So Paul is saying here that he, I've written to you more boldly in this letter here, not because I think that I'm, I ha- have such great ideas. Paul's saying, I'm not, you know, I'm not because I'm, I'm smarter than everybody, and so I wrote this letter to you. Paul is saying, I'm writing this letter because of the grace given to me of God. What did he mean by that? Well, in this case, when he's talking about the grace of God, he's referring to the calling of God on his life. And what is Paul's calling? His calling, he says here, is to minister the gospel message primarily to the Gentiles. This was not something that Paul asked for. It was given to him, and that's why he calls it grace. It's a gift that God has given me. It's it's the thing that God has told me to do. So God's specific calling for Paul was to have a ministry that was more directed toward the Gentiles. Now, this does not mean he never preached to the Jews. He did all the time. He went to the synagogues almost in every city that he went to. But the specific bent of his ministry, the thing that God, his primary focus, would be to spread the gospel to the Gentile world. That's just what, this is what God called him to do. And he took that ministry very seriously. In fact, in verse 16, he tells us that he saw this ministry that God gave him as a form of worship. See, when he uses the word there, ministering, you see that in verse 16, the word ministering. That word is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. In the the Greek, it could be translated as acting as a priest. Acting as a priest. So what Paul was saying is, I see my ministry of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles is like doing what the priests do in the temple. They're offering sacrifices in worship to the Lord. And so Paul is saying, I see every part of my ministry that God has given me as something I do as a sacrifice and a a form of worship to please the Lord and him alone. When Paul would go into a village and witness in the marketplace or, or he would preach to a gathering of people and then there would be a Gentile that would get saved and begin to worship the Lord, Paul would have in his mind, Lord, this person right here, this guy Festus, who just asked you to 
come into his life. Lord, this, this man right here, this is my offering to you. This is my worship to you. I'm bringing this Gentile to you, Lord, because this is what you want. You want the Gentiles to worship you. You want to save the Gentiles, and this is my calling. Yes, I'm doing it for them, but ultimately, Lord, I'm doing this ministry for you. This is my worship. What a precious way to see ministry as an offering of worship to the Lord. You know, it makes everything that we do then to, in ministry or serving, large or small, a sacred thing. Every little plate of food that is served, when it is done for the Lord, God accepts that as a, as a sweet offering to him. Every hug that you give to encourage another believer when you see that they need that hug is an offering to the Lord. Every text you send with a Bible verse to encourage somebody can be an offering to the Lord. Lord, this is my form of worship. Lord, I want to do this to please you. Sure, I want to help people, but ultimately, Lord, it's about pleasing you. Everything we do to reach somebody else can ultimately be a form of worship. But again, as I mentioned at the beginning, I want to highlight the fact that Paul here is narrowing his focus. He's narrowing his, and talking about his unique ministry, and that is to the Gentiles. And again, is Paul the only Christian who gets a specific calling? I don't think so. Now sure, we're not called to be an apostle like Paul was. I understand that. But I think that anybody, any Christian, can ask the Lord, Lord, you've put me here, you've put me at this time in history, in this place, where I am. What do you want me to do? So what does the Lord put on your heart? When you read this verse here, what would you put in this verse instead of the word Gentiles? That I should be a minister to blank. Lord, that I should be, you've called me, you've put the, this grace on me so that I could be a minister to what? Children, to youth, to senior citizens, to co-workers, to singles, to married people. That I should be a minister to the physical needs of people. That I would be a minister in prayer that I would be a minister in music, soul winning, building the church. The list is endless. And God has put every Christian on earth to do something for the Lord. You know, I read about an elderly widow years ago who was not able to do much, just restricted in her activities, but was very eager to serve the Lord. So after praying about that, she realized that there was one thing she could do that would really bring blessing to others and honor the Lord, and that was to play the piano. And so the next day, she decided, I know what I'm gonna do. She placed a small ad, this has happened over in Oakland, California. She placed a small ad in the Oakland Tribune, and it said this, pianist will play hymns by phone daily for those who are sick and despondent. The service is free. The notice included her number and when people called, she would ask, what hymn would you like to hear? And within a few months, her playing had brought joy to hundreds of people. Many, many people would then pour out their hearts to her, and she was able to help and witness to many, many people. Now, what a great example. I think we should all ask the Lord, Lord, help me see what you have for me to do. What, yes, we, we're called, for, we have, all have a general calling, but... Lord, what, what have you put in my heart to do? And what are, whatever it is, we need to see it as a form of worship, as a sacrifice to the Lord. Lord, this is my life. I'm like a priest. I just want to come in and offer this to you and give it to you, Lord. 
Now, let's look, and, and by the way, if we do that, it turns every mundane task into an eternally sacred gift to Jesus. Now, look at another quality in Paul's servanthood, number two. The servant of the Lord only boasts in the Lord. Only boasts in the Lord. As the apostle who arguably had the greatest worldwide impact, Paul, more than anybody else, could have boasted. <laughs> There's no Christian who could have boasted more than Paul, but he never did. Because the servant of the Lord knows that boasting is foolishness. Verse 17, I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. In other words, Paul's saying the only thing I'm gonna dare brag about here is what Christ has done in my ministry to the Gentiles. He's saying, you know, when I'm talking about my ministry to the Gentiles, I'm talking about what Jesus Christ did through me here. He hopes everybody understands that. Paul was making sure everyone knew he is not talking about his own ability or something he had that nobody else had. It was Jesus who was working through him. He understood how this whole thing works. He was just the instrument. God is working through that instrument. How dare an instrument take credit for the work of a musician? It's ridiculous. And even though Paul was literally a world changer, he, was not, he would not dare take any credit for helping the Gentiles become obedient to God. Now think about it. Just stepping back and looking at Paul and his time and what was going on there, on one side you have mighty Rome with its emperors, its armies, its buildings, its massive empire and, and army power all over the world. And on the other side, you have a short, elderly, frail preacher who is only armed with the gospel message. And who are we sitting here talking about today? Not Caesar, we're talking about Paul, the apostle Paul. One little Pharisee from Tarsus who convinced the Gentile world to give their whole lives to a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. Don't tell me Paul could have done that with his own strength. Don't tell me that. There is no way a human could have done that. This is a work of God through a human instrument. And that is how we have to see our service to the Lord. We are the, we are the instrument, he is the musician. We dare not take credit for the work that God does. You know, we as pastors, we, I, I, I know for sure appreciate the feedback that you give to me and all the encouragement I hear so much. I so appreciate that. It is appreciated and it helps me, but ultimately, what I am looking for, what we are looking for, is that God would speak through us to make a difference in someone's life. That's really the ultimate thing. And if, some, and if something helps you, then let's be very clear. This is God's word that helped you, not man's word. But I love what Paul wanted to see here. Look at this. He said, notice the thing, notice the thing he was going after, and that was obedience. Obedience. That, that there would be obedience among the Gentiles. He was... He was after complete life transformation. I don't want to just see them accept the gospel, even though that's a big part of it, and that's part of the obedience, obedience to the gospel. But he also wanted them to start living uh, as obedient Christians in the faith. Man, that's what Paul wanted. And I cannot think of anything that we should want more than that either. That God would use us to help somebody else become obedient to the Lord. Every ministry that we do around here is aimed at that goal right there. And then if we're gonna serve the Lord, number three, a ser servant of the Lord desires to minister in the power of the Spirit. 
the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's how, here's how Paul was able to do what he did. Verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about Illyricum, I have preached the gospel of Christ. So Paul's ministry is different from ours. We understand that. He was taking the gospel to people at a very unique time in history, soon after Christ died and then rose again. And God was using Paul to start a gospel wildfire uh, that would spread all over the world for thousands of years. And here we sit because of that gospel wildfire. And so in this case, in Paul's case, God felt that to really bolster the message, God needed to give him signs and wonders, allow him to do miracles. Paul was used to raise the dead, heal the sick, shake off snakes, and a lot more. Those miracles that God allowed him to do gave added proof and added weight to the message that he was preaching everywhere he went. And uh, by the way, this was always really the key reason for miracles. They were, as it says here, a sign signs and wonders. They were a sign of God's power. Now, could God do miracles like that today? Yes, absolutely. We should never put God in a box. We should not ever say, no, God doesn't do those anymore. Are you kidding me? God could do signs and wonders if he wanted to. Now, I'm not a cessationist, which means, which are those who think that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased from today. But I'm also not in support of the worked up antics that we see on TV that pass for miracles of the Spirit either. If God wants to work miracles, he certainly can and he certainly will, just like he did with Paul. And if, it's, if he sees so that it's fitting to do so, believe you me, we're gonna see signs and wonders. And miraculously here, God used Paul, he says, all over the, the world at that time, all over that area of the world, from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Illyricum is modern-day Yugoslavia and Albania. Now, we don't know exactly uh, when Paul went there to that part of the world, but he did. And this was 1,400 miles of travel from Jerusalem to Illyricum by foot. Absolutely amazing what Paul did in his lifetime and even at this time of his writing. Verse 19 clearly says how, did he, how he did that, in the power of the Spirit of God. In the power of the Spirit of God. In the book of Acts, when you see the power of the Spirit come on people, almost always you're gonna see a person getting saved right after that. In Acts chapter one, God says that he would send the Spirit and they, he would give them power to become witnesses. The power of the Holy Spirit is given so that we would be primarily witnesses for Christ in this world not just for signs and wonders, but for many other uh, manifestations that the Lord might do in us. This means that we ought to ask for the power of the Spirit for our ministry as well, whatever it may be. We may not see signs and wonders exactly like Paul, but if we're paying attention, we will see the supernatural working of God. Amen. God might prompt us to say something to a coworker. You might be standing there and you might sense that, man, we've been having this conversation with a coworker and now is the right moment to say something to this person. And that prompting right there, where did that come from? That came from the Holy Spirit. And right now, in that moment, he's gonna give you the power to do what you need to do. 
God might ask, might all of a sudden put some words in your mind supernaturally to say that you never would have thought to say on your own to somebody. God might bring a memory verse, or a verse in the Bible supernaturally when you're ministering to somebody. You say, I didn't even know I knew that verse, but it just came out of my mouth. God might allow you to go through something in your life so that you then have a platform to speak to someone else and when they're going through that same thing. And all of a sudden, your words have so much weight and that you have the ability to speak like nobody else can speak to that person. God might put you in a specific location or a at a specific time to speak to somebody who's hurting. Serving the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit takes on many different forms. Many different ways God might use the power of the Holy Spirit through us. So what I would say to all of us is ask for the Holy Spirit. Lord, as I go out today, give me the power of the Holy Spirit that supernaturally you might work through me in some way, some way I'm not even expecting that I could be a blessing and minister for you. And then we see from the life of Paul that, number four, a servant of the Lord has vision in ministry. Look what he says here in verse 20 about his vision. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. So Paul explains his vision here. Paul's vision from the Lord was to be a pioneer for Christ, to boldly go where Christ has never been preached. And it says in verse 21 there that he had a word from the Lord on this. He, he refers back to Isaiah 52.15 and Isaiah 65.1. And he says, based on this word from the Lord, I see my ministry focus to the Gentiles and to places where Christ has not been named. That's what God has called me to do. Go where Jesus has not been named. Go to a place where nobody has been before, preaching. I'm a foundation layer, not a person who builds a building on top of a foundation. I'm the guy going in there first and breaking the ground and putting a foundation in. Now, he was not saying it was wrong to build on another person's foundation. It just wasn't his calling and his vision. See, because Paul knew his more specific calling, then he was a, that he, I'm a pioneer, that helped him to be able to make ministry decisions. Where should I go? Uh, here, to this town, or to this town? Well, the answer for Paul was, wherever Christ has not been preached. If I had to make a decision here, and I don't know which one to do, what, what am I gonna do? He said, I am a pioneer, this is my narrow calling, this is the specific thing God has asked me to do, and called me to do, so I choose this one. If he was a pastor or an evangelist, it would have been different. But again, this is the value of knowing what God has put you here to do, what your specific aim is, what, what a special calling God has put on your heart. It helps you make ministry decisions. Now, I'm going to just share with you real quick about me personally on this because it comes to the forefront for me. You know, a long, a long time ago, uh, God gave me a little more of a narrow vision for my life. And it was out of Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. I was reading that, and Paul there is writing to a young pastor by the name of Titus in the island of Crete, and uh, where Anthony and Eby just came back from in Greece. They spent some time in Crete. 
But Paul said, Titus, I left you in Crete to do a couple things. One of them is to set in order the things that are lacking in the church. And at that moment, at that time, when I was just genuinely seeking the Lord on what he would have me do, that's I felt very strongly that that was a word from the Lord for my life. So I felt very strongly the Lord wanted me to systematically begin working through one area of our church ministry at a time to see what was lacking and to provide organization for that and to help us grow if we can. And that's been my heart for now about 20 years, just working through the ministries of our church and trying to provide organization. That narrow vision, though, has helped me so many times just to stay focused. And it gives me joy in ministry in even the small and mundane tasks. Because I think back and I'd say, okay, I'm dealing with these little minor issues, these little details, but I think, man, this is what God has called me to. These little details are what God has called me to do to help other people. See, but in my mind, my, my part is only a little part of the big part of reaching a soul for Christ. We all do our part. But I remind myself all the time that if we have an organized, friendly, and functional church for people to come to, then it will attract more people who need Christ and need to grow in their obedience to Christ. And it will be an attractive place. And so this is my ministry vision, if you will, But Paul wasn't like me. You know, Paul was more like somebody like Pastor Mike, who will be here in a few weeks, Lord willing, in the summer here. And he he loves, Pastor Mike loves traveling through India, going to places where Christ has not been named. He's a personal soul winner by narrow calling. That doesn't mean we all should be doing, or that doesn't mean we all shouldn't be doing that, trying to win other souls to Christ. But don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, but the primary thrust of his ministry is different from mine or many of yours. David Livingston, he was a pioneer, uh, charting new places, saying, Lord, where can I go? So many others today who are focused on reaching that 1040 window, as they call it, where I think something like 60 to 70% of the world's most unreached people groups live in that 1040 window. And so many people are trying to get the gospel to those places, and I'm so thankful. Billy Graham, for example, he was less of a pioneer, more of an evangelist who led thousands to Christ in America. But I believe there's a calling for all of us. There's something a little more narrow for you and me to do. Some might be called to the minister of music, to children, care ministry, hospitality ministry, food ministry, whatever it is. By the way, I just want to say, it may change over time. You know, as seasons of life change and things change in our life, the Lord might just change that calling a little bit. And, uh, and, and put, give you something else that he wants you to do. And he, he will plant that in your heart. But notice that Paul not only had a vision, he was also very strategic about this. He wasn't just going where the wind blew every day. He had forethought. And that's what we see next, his planning. Look at ver- number five here. A servant of the Lord makes plans and is strategic. Look at this. Again, remember, he never met these folks in Rome as he writes this. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. So Paul's immediate plan here was to go to Jerusalem because 
he was carrying with him in his journey a financial contribution to deliver to the poor Jews in Jerusalem. And it says that offering that he was carrying was from the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. So the churches there had taken up an offering for the poor people in Jerusalem. The Gentile church had taken up for this poor Jewish church primarily in Jerusalem, and he was going to take that to them. And passages like this help us know that it's always been a Christian duty to give to missions. That's part of what we do as churches. When the Lord prompts our hearts, then we need to give offerings to help the work of God continue all over the world. They've been doing this from the very beginning. And in this case, it was the Gentile churches from one region helping Christian Jews in another region. And look at verse 27. It has pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things or physical things. So Paul says this is an appropriate offering that these Gentile churches are giving because in a sense, those Gentile churches, those Gentile Christians are debtors to the Jews. They're in debt to the Jews. Why? Well, because the world's greatest spiritual blessings came through the Jewish line. Jesus himself and all that he did and the word of God, everything comes through that Jewish line. And it's a God-given principle that we should give physical support to those who give us spiritual support. That's mentioned in other places in the Bible. And so Paul says that's only right. So Paul is on his way to Jerusalem to deliver this offering. And then he says, I'm on to Rome after that. And he was laying out his plan. I'm, not, I'm going to Spain, but as I go to Spain, I'm going to stop by Rome and visit you folks. Then verse 28, when therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. He was, just, he was excited to swing into Rome on his way to Spain, which, by the way, he probably never made. He probably never made it to Spain. He didn't make it to Rome. Now, why did he want to go to Spain? Well, we don't know all the reasons that he wanted to go, but we know one thing. He said, I'm called to go where Christ has not been named. So maybe that's his driving force there. But what Paul did not know at the time, at this moment of writing, is that he would be going to Rome under different circumstances than he even thought. There would, when he got to Jerusalem, there would be a riot there over his preaching. He would be arrested, and then he would be put on a Roman ship as a prisoner and sent to Rome to stand trial. That's written about in Acts 21 through 23. So Paul did eventually make it to Rome, and the government paid for it. <laughs> <clears throat> But this does remind us of something here. Paul had these plans. He was very strategic. Here's what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. Here's, here's what I, where I'm going. But planning is good. But God is always in control. The unexpected twists and turns of our lives are part of the journey. They're part of the journey that God has us on. So don't stress about it. Whatever twist and turn you're on right now, the unexpected thing that's happening... If you're following the Lord, don't stress about it. God's gonna get you to where he wants you to be. See, some people don't seem to plan at all, they make, and then they make not planning sound really super spiritual. I'm just letting the Spirit lead me. Well, well, imagine trying to do that all, this whole church and everything that we do around here with zero planning. That's just silliness. God wants things done decently and in order. But all the while, we do that. We, we put a lot of effort into planning. However, we know this, that God can change things at any time. And we have to have that heart. 
We always write our plans in pencil and God holds the eraser. By the way, that's exactly how I write, I've written my life goals. I have a piece of paper, I always write them in pencil because I really want that in my head. That Lord, you, if you want to erase this goal, you go for it. It is all, the eraser's in your hand. And Even though Paul didn't know what was coming, he knew one thing, that he needed prayer. He believed in the power of prayer. Number six here, a servant of the Lord believes that God answers prayer. A servant of the Lord believes that God answers prayer. Look at verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Listen to that. The great apostle Paul was not above asking for prayer. He knew that if he was going to make it, he would need the people of God praying for him. And look how he said it. I love this. Strive together with me. Strive together with me. What a powerful description of prayer. Striving, which means fighting, battling. Prayer is like doing battle. It really is. And we all know that because Satan does everything he can to get us to not pray. We all know in this room how hard it is to sit and just really pray and seek the Lord. Why? Why is it such a hard thing? Because the devil hates it. And it's such a powerful thing. So strive together with me in prayer. And he says, with me, with me. See, when we pray for other Christians, it's like fighting in the battle alongside them. Paul is basically saying, I want somebody in the trenches with me. And I know you'll be with me if you're praying for me. Just knowing that somebody is praying for me is like, it makes all the difference in the world. It gives me such, uh, uh, such strength. And that's how I, I feel when somebody tells me I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I feel like I have a fellow soldier in the trench with me. And here are the specific requests as we close here. He says, verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. It's good to be specific in our prayers. And Paul says four requests here. Don't let the unbelievers in Judea capture me. Pray that, pray that that would happen. Pray that the saints in Jerusalem would accept what I have to bring. Pray that I could get to you in Rome and pray that our time together would be refreshing. Well, we know that at least two of those prayers were answered for sure. He certainly was delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Acts 21 through 23 tells us that. They, they were about to take him, but the Romans stepped in and protected him from the unbelieving Jews. And then he also made it to Rome. We know that. So praise the Lord for how God answers prayer, even if it's not like we thought he was going to. Often it's not like we think God's going to. And then Paul ends it this way. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. That's what Paul wanted for them. And everybody, can I just say this? That's what I want for you too. I know that's what the Lord wants for all of us. That you would feel the God of peace right by your side. What is your ministry? I would just encourage everybody to seek the Lord. Lord, and ask him, Lord, put something in my heart. And keep, and then just keep doing what you can for the Lord, whatever it may be. We don't want to miss our opportunities for Christ. There's a story as about the, one of the greatest missed opportunities in the history of missions, and it breaks my heart. Kublai Khan, the ruler of China, the largest empire in history, wrote to Marco Polo in the year 12, 1266. 
He wrote this because his heart had been touched by the news of Christ's death for the world's sins. And he, he thought, this is amazing, and I want my whole empire to be evangelized. So here's what he wrote. He said, send me 100 men skilled in your religion, and I shall be baptized, and then all my barons and great men, and then their subjects. So there will be more Christians here than there are in your parts. And what was the response? After many years, only two missionaries came forward who were willing to endure the hardships necessary to bring the, the, the good news of Christ to China. And even then, those two turned back halfway before reaching their destination. Perhaps the greatest missed opportunity in history. Imagine maybe what China would be like today had there been a widespread gospel movement. May we never miss the opportunities that the Lord has laid out for us in ministry. Lord, you have a something for me. I don't want to miss that chance to, to do your work. Lord, help us to be the kind of people. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.